My name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories, and I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. Who was driving it? I don't know. It was my first picture as a director, and you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. What is going on? I don't know! I just wanted someone to do Stephen King right. You want a war? You got one. <laughs> I just want to get the hell out of here. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. <laughs> Spend some time in the dark. Please don't let us be in the dark. I'm gonna scare the hell out of you. And that's a promise. You're gonna get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. We already in trouble. Maximum terror. Jesus coming and he is. Maximum king. Maybe tomorrow will be our world again. Dino De Laurentiis presents Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. I, I have to, I'm deeply offended and triggered, sir. You've you've offended me. I'm gonna go uh, <laughs> Tumblr and, and blog about this. Radio Drome. Welcome to the 350th episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley, and yes, it's been 350 episodes. Cecil is back. Yes, I couldn't not be here for uh, a landmark episode like this. And Peter is here as well. Well, I absolutely wouldn't miss this cockadoocie. What is it? What is it that uh, <laughs> Kathy Bates says in Misery? Cockadoody episode. I don't know. I think that was it. Before we get into the subject for the 350th episode, you guys need to go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. To celebrate our 350th episode, we're going to look at the works of Stephen King, with it just destroying the box office right now, and Dark Tower being destroyed by the box office a couple of months ago. I think it's time we talk about Stephen King. Tonight, movies only. All the TV work we'll deal with next week. So tonight, just the movie stuff. If if possible, we're going to leave out all of the short films and the dollar babies and all that stuff. I want to look at the theatrical or direct-to-video works of Stephen King. When you think of Stephen King and the movies, 
what era more comes to life? The Dino De Laurentiis era of the mid-80s or the kind of garbage from 2001 and up? Uh, I gotta go with the 80s. The 80s gave us Christine, gave us Maximum Overdrive, gave us Sleepwalkers, gave us the really, as, like, movies that I felt kind of captured a lot of the Stephen King vibe were really good, and it, it took a while. They kind of, there was just hit after hit after hit, like so many good movies and really good adaptations. Ones that did veer kind of away, like The Shining, uh, where it wasn't really close to the source material, but in the end, the end result was amazing. So I don't mind when they kind of can take liberties with the material if the end result is that good. A lot of the mid-90s and up until like the mid-2000s, we had just gotten some horrendous Stephen King novel um, adaptations and like the ones that we did get that were good were great like the mist i think is amazing night flyer uh, from 97 oh night flyer is terrific night flyer i i think a lot of people don't even know that that's stephen king night flyer it, it was an hbo original movie that's why i don't think people remember that one so much because it was technically a tv movie in america but it was theatrical everywhere else that's why i'm not counting that in the tv works that makes sense but uh i remember i actually caught it on cable. I didn't, I didn't even know, you know, what it was. I didn't know anything about it. I was just like, oh, this is a really cool movie. Oh, it was a Stephen, you know, Stephen King's The Night Flyer. And, uh, but it was cool. And, and then his, his serious stuff, you know, Stand By Me and all that just are so good. I think they, they really did terrific jobs with that. The, the Green Mile. Uh, it, but when, I think when they're good, they're great because if you look at the movies that are the, the memorable ones, there's always a, excellent director there's so much talent behind it and then when you look at the films that bomb it's always they just shovel it off to some nobody director who ends up completely screwing up the material cell and making just a pile of ass well definitely the late 70s to early 90s stuff like to me my absolute favorite adaptation would be misery you know the james con kathy bates one i always go back and uh, rewatch that one i love the performances in it i know it takes some liberties with the book but i feel like a lot of the differences actually make more sense or and are and are in a way a lot scarier than they actually are in the book there's something freakier and more intimidating and more nasty about hobbling a dude with a sledgehammer rather than just straight up cutting his legs off. I don't know what it is about it, but something that that visual is, has just always haunted me. And I love uh, Kathy Bates' performance as Annie Wilkes, and James Caan is fantastic in the movie as the writer. Um, so definitely that era of um, late 90s, 80s, you know, late 70s with Carrie, and you got 80s with uh, John Carpenter's Christine, just so many awesome ones to choose from. And definitely the more you went into later 2000s like that, awful uh carry or a carry remake starring hit girl and then you had uh the dark tower which i've heard is is not very good i haven't seen it yet and i haven't seen the the it readaptation yet either but i think he really his well his adaptations really shined in the the 70s the 80s and the 90s with a few choice uh exceptions like the mist was solid. Um, I remember Night Flyer being good. I mean, that's 97, still kind of in the, I guess, the golden era of good King adaptations. But definitely the one I always uh, think back to is Misery. Well, we have to start with Stephen King himself. Now, the man is known for horror, and he even has a couple of sci-fi ones in here. He has never really been happy with a lot of the way these movies have turned out, and neither have a lot of his fans. In 1984, Harlan Ellison wrote a great rant 
That's the only way I can put it. I wonder why the children don't look like their parents. About how director after director after director keeps taking great Stephen King novels and making terrible movies out of them. Now, we are looking back and going, oh, Firestarter was decent. Silver Bullet was decent. At the time, these were not. These were considered terrible terrible movies at the time so we might as well start in 1976 with carrie based on his novel from 1974 i'm indifferent about carrie i don't think it's a terrible movie but i don't necessarily think it's a good movie it's just hey carrie's on okay about a year ago or so i got my wife to sit down and watch carrie i hadn't seen it in a long time myself so uh we were talking about uh, Stephen King and and we were talking about the the recent uh, hit girl Chloe uh, one she really wanted to check it out and so we watched it and I oh I always liked it but watching it again for me I think it's a movie that absolutely still holds up it is terrific the performances in it are amazing the whole dichotomy between the mother and the daughter and the religious uh heavy slant to it the only thing that was cheesy and I guess they they kind of couldn't afford maybe to do it or it wasn't quite what the director wanted to do uh when John Travolta and um uh what's her name uh from from robocop or in the car nancy allen uh are in the the car together and carrie flips the car like they they did they like flip the camera and it like looks really bad but but then they show the car flipping and it's i don't know why they didn't cut like they they didn't cut there and show the car flipping why they showed that it just it looks really corny like the movie is absolutely terrific the performances are terrific uh the effects are amazing like when when she's crucifying her mother at the end it's just really great the whole prom night sequence is done incredibly well like i love carrie i think that is definitely one of his best uh adaptations and and uh, I, I like I like it more now than I think I ever have. I, I personally got to go with the I believe this was an Asinitis movie, Jennifer the Snake Goddess. The I can't believe they didn't get sued. Carrie knockoff that came out in '77. Jennifer the Snake <laughs> Goddess is way more exploitative, and I just find it a lot more fun. Well, Carrie didn't need to be exploitative though, really. That wasn't the whole point. I mean, it is pretty, like, sleazy. I mean, it starts off with a chick having her period in a public locker room. Me, personally, I find the ending to Carrie still to hold up as one of the freakiest endings ever and the uh, freakiest f***ing endings ever. Are you, ta- are, you, are you talking about the ending ending with the grave? Yeah, freaking. It's it's kind of a one of the earliest jump scares, I guess, but it's done so well. It does such a good way of uh, establishing that you think it's all over and everything's all right and it's it's calm and then it, it hits you much the same way that the original Friday the 13th did it. Example of how to do a jump scare properly, I think, is you actually have to build something up and establish a, a mood and then completely pull a, a 180. The big thing with the with the end, too... And why the whole prom sequence is so effective is Sissy SpaceX expressions. Oh my God. It's like that makes it even better when you're looking at her like you see like rage and insanity and just she is just completely unhinged and is just murdering all of her classmates it Mm -hmm. is i mean it's done amazingly well like uh, i just i freaking love that and yeah the the hand jumping uh coming out at the end it was one of the earliest uh jump scares but again done effective not just done you know and then cut to black roll credits 
Well, and then it took about four years for the next Stephen King movie to come out, which would be The Shining, based on the novel from 1977. I'm sorry. I find this movie boring. I find it you way too slow. I, I do not like this movie at all. The Shining really? does nothing for me. Nothing. At all? I do not like this movie at all. I've tried so many times to like this movie. I probably tried six times in the last decade. Everyone tells me how good it is, and I sit down and I'm just like, I want to like this, but I just can't. I don't like Kubrick's The Shining. I think it's a fantastic movie. I mean, I I think just for Jack Nicholson's performance alone, it's amazing. His descent into madness, the the backstory of him being a recovering alcoholic and abusive husband, and all of those demons coming out brought forth by the by the hotel, and just the the slow build up of all of it. It's a perfectly well done slow burn horror movie. And those last um, I think it's like thirty twenty twenty thirty minutes of him playing cat and mouse with his own family and chasing his son through a, a snow and ice ridden maze with an axe. Like it's, it's a quintessential horror movie and uh, you, you have every right to be wrong about it, but it's a great film. No TV and no beer make Homer something, something go crazy. Don't True. mind if I do. <laughs> yeah. The shining's incredible. You're nuts. Like, like everything Peter said, like the, the, the mood, the atmosphere, Nicholson's performance, the way it's directed. I mean, it's, it's just, it is a landmark film. Like it is one of those films that is just perfect. The, the mood, the music, like everything about it is just effective. And, uh, I think uh, maybe this is my thing is that when there is a movie like that where, uh, it's you, you hear from so many places that uh it's good and you do set up this thing in your mind that it's going to be something else and it ends up not being i don't know i just uh and then sometimes i just think you're being a grump now stephen king mania would pick up shortly after this but then we go to george romero's adaptation of creep show which is technically only an adaptation of two stephen king stories but king wrote the other three of the five stories specifically for creep show so through and through creep show is a stephen king movie i don't mm. want to spend a ton of time on this one because we did a full Creepshow retrospective, unfortunately, before Peter was on the show. I think Creepshow is fantastic. We'll talk about Creepshow 2 later. Creepshow is one of the things that I fault for my dislike of bugs. Uh, <laughs> the, I would have thought it was meteor shit. Yeah, meteor shit. <laughs> the, the roaches at the end uh thing oh my god still gives me nightmares it's just done so well now with with creep show there are you know as with any anthology you're going to have some that are better than others but i think this one it's fairly consistent most of them like i don't really think there's any that are particularly bad it's just that some that are really good and others that are just kind of good like the tasmanian devil one is is kind of good but it's not comparative to the uh the leslie nielsen uh ted uh, danson you know found a friend harry you know <laughs> like it's just <laughs> like terrific seeing leslie nielsen just play like a super evil dude and uh just torturing the hell out of a uh, poor ted danson but yeah and then stephen king with the meteor shit one and uh uh the the, the roaches uh it's uh it's a lot of fun it's uh, not particularly scary with the exception of the last uh sequence but uh, very enjoyable. Creepshow and Creepshow 2 are still the best Tales from the Crypt movies. That's <laughs> yeah. really all I've got to say. That's, that's by far the way a Tales from the Crypt movie was supposed to be. It's the way an EC comic movie was meant to be. Not taken away 
from Demon Knight. I really like that one. Or the original, I think it was 70s uh, Tales from the Crypt thing that they tried Peter, to do. Peter, you, um, you just don't understand. I, that's what. That's why God made fathers, babe. That's why God made fathers. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Creepshow is, is just phenomenal. And I don't know if it, it, it doesn't so much count as a... Uh, as a straight up Stephen King adaptation because he's writing for the movie. Like it's meant to be an anthology and in minds coming together of George Romero and Stephen King, like an ultimate horror anthology kind of thing, which is what makes it so perfect as an anthology movie. And you've, you've got the brilliant uh, direction in there. I believe uh, Dario Argento had a little bit to do with it, didn't he? With the lighting of the Tasmanian devil one, or was that just, they're kind of aping him a little bit reds and blues in there and it really well, he also did. wanted it to make it look like a comic book yeah yeah it really did have that ec comic feel to it like when you'd see the comic strips in the movie and the way they kind of did the layout of, of everything in the cover and the way the panels look it really represented that in such a perfect way and i love uh creep show and i feel like it's the well it's the ultimate anthology tales from the crypt movie more so than the actual official canon tales from the crypt films well no Starting from here on out, it was Stephen King mania. Now, Dino De Laurentiis got exclusive rights to a bunch of them, but he didn't have all of these. In a succession of five years, we have seven Stephen King movies. That maybe contributed a little bit to a glut. I'm not sure. First, we have Cujo. I don't know. Cujo just never did. Cujo to me would work as a Tales from the Dark Side episode. It didn't work as a full movie. Cause by the time the dog's going crazy, it's just like, okay, how long is she trapped in this fucking car for? How long are they gonna, oh, oh, we're, we're doing this again. Huh? Oh, another rescuer came. Oh, look, they're dead too. It just, it seemed like they were stretching to make this, this fit into a 90 minute time frame. This needed to be a Tales from the Dark Side episode, not a movie. I remember really being freaked out by it as a kid um, and then revisiting it years later and being a bit bored with it because yeah it's a it's a really paper thin concept that's stretched as absolutely wide and thin as possible um there's only so long that you can be in this car with this uh, mother and her kid and have rescuers get killed by the big scary bloody dog i mean it's still it's a well-made film i take nothing away from it but it's not particularly rewatchable like it's one of those movies you see for the first time and it gets you and then when you revisit it you go "Eh, well now i gotta sit through all this stuff again when before it was really suspenseful but then you watch it again and yeah it's kind of just a very thin plot stretched as uh, as far as it can go it's certainly not one of the poor stephen king adaptations like i do think it's a well-done movie just not particularly revisitable I remember it being okay. I don't remember it being, like, anything particularly memorable. But then the next film was very memorable. The Dead Zone from Cronenberg, based on the 1979 novel. Now, The Dead Zone, first of all, as good as Walken is in the film, I I love Tom Skerritt and Martin Sheen in this. I think they Mm. steal this movie from Christopher Walken. Martin Sheen plays Greg Stilson so sleazy and yet so eminently likable you can really see like the rise of donald trump in greg stilson is <laughs> donald trump nowadays tom scarrett has that guy ever given a bad performance i mean ever no uh, i just revisited it last year because uh, we were having we we're having like a weird snowstorm kind of thing like it was the most snow i think vancouver has ever gotten it's just we had so much ice everywhere and it was snowing every single day Things were getting closed down. Roads were closed. It was a very depressing, cold, frigid time, and I thought it would be the best time to revisit Dead Zone. And man, does it ever stand up. As you said, Tom Skerritt's brilliant in it. I think he 
He's the cop. You have uh, Martin Sheen playing, well, pretty much a Donald Trump type, though I would say he's kind of a combination of Bush and Trump because you got the whole religious angle as well as the money-hungry, greedy f***er angle as well. It's got such a brilliant tone to it. All of it, the whole thing is is great. And it's a great movie to watch, particularly during the winter. I wouldn't say it's a good Christmas or holiday movie, but it's a good movie to put on when it's just absolutely shitty outside. And you want to put on like a good, solid, effective horror movie that also has uh, happens to have some good social and political commentary to it as well. Yeah, Dead Zone is, uh, is outstanding. I agree with you. I think uh, Tom Skerritt, just a uh, really underappreciated actor, just has always given like great performances. And- he comes across so honest in this movie, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. Like he's always had a really nice, subdued, kind of subtle quality about him where it's like some people when they do that, it's underacting like it's it comes across as wooden, whereas he comes across like a a real person who's just tired and didn't want to come into work that day. Pretty much it. Yeah, he uh, he just is like, oh, he's had it. But yeah, um, walk ins performance like that is one of those films where they had lightning in a bottle you had all these great performances you had all these great actors you had uh, some very new and cool unique visual effects with the fire and everything just very cool stuff really mm. really good well and then we go to christine which is a movie i know cecil loves but christine just again never did it for me i don't really i don't hate chris it's kind of like the carry i don't hate it i don't love it oh christine's on i guess i got better things to do I did a whole video talking about how good Christine is and how like they just nailed it. Like, uh, yeah, Christine is, is a great movie. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know what, what more, what more do you want? General aesthetic, I think, of just a solid 80s John Carpenter movie and how colors should look and what the score should sound like and the, the mood and the atmosphere of that movie just nails it. I love Christine. It doesn't even need to be scary, even though in many instances it is. I mean, you've, you've got this character who starts out as this, this meek wimp who is constantly getting told to do by, told what to do by his parents. He's getting bullied. He can stand up for himself. And then this car changes him just into this like greaser jock and he becomes more sunken eyed and becomes more evil. And the whole me changes around him as he changes as a, as a person completely as he's warped by this car. It's, it's a gorgeous film on every filmmaking element and aspect of it. And how Josh can just say meh. To something like that is, um, I, I have to, I'm deeply offended and triggered, sir. You've, you've offended me. I'm gonna go, uh, <laughs> Tumblr and, and blog about this, about how, how deeply you've hurt me for your, um, your just awful dissection of, uh, Christine. Just, just now. Christine's a great film. Um, I think, especially if you're a John Carpenter fan, like it's, it's one of those quintessential Carpenter movies that really showcase what kind of a filmmaker he was before movies like Escape from L.A. and and Ghosts of Mars and shit like that. You really get a glimpse into just how brilliant he was as a filmmaker at one point. Now, in here, some people are going to say, well, Salem's Lot should be next, because a lot of people saw Salem's Lot on VHS. Salem's Lot was a four-hour TV miniseries that was edited down to 90 minutes for a video release, so that's a TV production so yeah. we'll talk about salem's lot next week but then we go to and again cecil and i did a whole retrospective children of the corn as painful as this is children of the Corn's not a good movie but it's the best film in that goddamn franchise that's a sad statement isn't it cecil <laughs> well uh, no children of the corn 2 is the best film in the franchise 
The only thing Children of the Corn has going for it is that super cute little dance Linda Hamilton does near the beginning. Yes, <laughs> and the the opening is pretty intense, where where they're just murdering all their the parents. But um, the movie in general. Oh, and uh, and uh, is it is it Malachi? No, Malachi is. Is he the the I, redhead? I, right? I, the, Isaac. I, Isaac. No, yeah. no, 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 no. What? If, no, 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 no. Wasn't no. Isaac was the. Uh, Isaac is the creepy little preacher kid. Okay, you're right. It was Malachi was the second one. Okay. Uh, yeah, Isaac. Oh my God. Could they have found a more disturbing looking child? Like, <laughs> like just, I, I, that's another one where I was watching it and, uh, I, like, cause when I was revisiting it, uh, whenever we did the retrospective a while ago and my wife walks in, she's like, what the hell is that? What's wrong with that kid? <laughs> Because he's got, like, the whole Amish outfit on. He's got the hat. And he's staring in the window of the diner. It's like, what is wrong with this kid? Like, he <laughs> looks evil. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. But <laughs> he looks evil. And, uh yeah, so it, it's just... uh it, it, they did a great job casting. I enjoy uh, Children of the Corn, but it is a uh, uh, corny movie. Silly at times, but uh, it's entertaining. Um, I enjoy two. I don't know. Two, I think, is a little more. You're uh, just an outlander. I, I am an outlander. <laughs> I think that uh, I think two just is is more has more fun with the premise. And then, of course, it just immediately goes off the rails and uh, it turns into what we have now. Who's the uh, who's the tall redheaded kid with the machete? Malachi. Yeah, he's a creepy little shit too. Um, all the, all the kids in that movie are just freakish. I, I like it. I wouldn't put it up there as one of my favorites, but I see its place as being a, it is definitely like a cult classic among like horror movies and I, I enjoy it. It's been a little while since I've seen it, but all I can remember is like Malachi going outlander and like chasing the, the dudes or like a, I don't know if it was like a garage or something. It's been a couple of years since I've seen it, but I like, I like children of the corn. That one gets a, it gets a pass. Well, now from for the next four, I don't know if Dino had exclusive rights, but they're all Dino De Laurentiis productions. We've got Firestarter in 1984, which I used to like. I liked it as a kid when I would see it on HBO. I watched it again six, seven years ago and went, man, there are script problems all over this goddamn thing. Nothing in this movie works, I, especially casting George C. Scott as a mystical Indian named John Rainbird. Oh, boy. Do you want to talk about culturally inappropriate? That's it. I liked Rekindled better. <laughs> I actually did, too. Rekindled was the X-Men movie we should have gotten. Yeah, yeah, Rekindled was totally the X-Men. Well, it was, I, I would say, an X-Men movie in and not in name. But uh, I'd like the X-Men movies, so. At the time that was made in 96, there were no X-Men movies, and that was a freaking X-Men movie. It, yeah, it really was, was. It totally was. It was a very long X-Men movie. Mine, Firestarter, I think that there are, kind of like Carrie, in a way, the, the end where uh, everything is just on fire is really good, because this is in the days when there was no CG. We're talking 1984. So they basically lit the entire town on fire. That was amazing stuff right there. The the uh, the people who worked on that and did the visuals should really get a nice pat on the back because uh, it could not have been easy to keep all of that uh, under control. Like it for that, but it's one of the weaker ones in the uh, the 80s lot. Been a really long time since I've seen it. I just remember very young Drew Barrymore being in it, and I remember liking it, but I'd have to revisit it. It's been 
God, I probably haven't seen that one since like high school or something. Well, and then we go to another Dino production. We have an anthology film, Cat's Eye. Here's the thing about Cat's Eye. As an anthology film, it doesn't work, but some of the anthologies work. I think Quitter's Inc. is a very atypical Stephen King story, but it's really fun. I thought the ledge didn't work, and that creepy little damn thing in the wall trying to steal Drew Barrymore's breath always creeped me the hell out. Cat's Eye is uneven, and it's a little too in on the joke. I mean, at the beginning of the movie, Cujo is chasing the cat and almost gets hit by Christine. Ho, 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 ho. <laughs> Cat's Eye's cat's eye's all right, if for nothing else than Quitter's Inc. Okay, again, calm down. You know, like, when you're watching the movie and you see, like, the, the little homages like that where Cujo almost gets hit by Chris, come on, get chuckle, enjoy life a little bit for crying out loud. <laughs> um, so, uh, I like Cat's Eye a lot. I think that, uh, Quitter's Inc. is really good. Uh, I like the, the stories. I, the, the end, the, the little goblin in the wall, uh, is just, uh, terrific. And I've always enjoyed movies where the cat is the hero. So <laughs> here we have, uh, you know, the cat going through various horrible things and then, uh, uh, you know, ends up being the big hero at the end and nobody believes the cat is, they think the cat's trying to kill the baby and then the cat ends up saving the baby from the evil to steal their breath. It's, uh, it's a fun, like, entertaining movie. Yeah, Cat's Eye's fun. Um, I saw it a couple years back again. I remember enjoying it. Each, each story had a, it, it's sort of like a, it's, it's humorous. It's more black comedy kind of stuff. And I enjoyed it. It's one I'd like to revisit again, just to sort of talking about it sort of gets me excited to watch it again. Well, and then after that, we come to Silver Bullet, which is a really, really weird movie. First of all, there are two different stories and I don't know who to believe. Don Coscarelli originally was the director of Silver bullet now according to don coscarelli he quit during pre-production according to dilo de laurentis don coscarelli shot for a week and a half before he left the film so don coscarelli may or may not have shot part of this movie silver bullet does not work as a movie especially because it's not even based on a stephen king novel it's based on a calendar in 1983 stephen king along with artist bernie wrightson created a calendar called Cycle of the Werewolf, where it would be a new painting each month, and on the back of the painting would be part of a chapter of the story, hmm. and it would go throughout the entire year. They made a movie about that. And you can tell that this thing is episodic as hell. PG when they started production, PG-13 didn't exist. So I think they were trying to make this a PG movie, because... There's no swearing in it at all. You have adults calling each other booger brain. <laughs> and yet the movie's so violent, you go, how did you not think you were going to get rated R? So the movie doesn't work because it's too violent for kids, but it's definitely too dopey for adults. Silver Bullet, it is kind of like a starter horror film. You know, if you're just getting into werewolf movies, watch Silver Bullet until you're ready for The Howling or American Werewolf. I completely disagree with that. Watch Howling and American Werewolf first and then go watch the weird stuff. I like Silver Bullet. I mean, it's got Gary Busey being a kook and the crazy uncle or whatever. It's got some... He ad-libbed all his own dialogue, by the way. Of course. It's pretty noticeable. And you know what? That works because he's kind of a character in and of himself. The werewolf transformations in themselves are very good. It's one in particular, I, I can't remember the exact setting for it, but it's the eyeless priest dude is is turning into 
uh, werewolf as some guy's like trying to shoot him or something, but it's really creepy and, and atmospheric. And I, I really like a lot of what that movie has to offer. It does have a bit of weirdness to it with the lack of swearing and the abundance of violence, but there's a charm to it. It's got that schlocky charm and it's definitely not a starter werewolf movie. Like I think if, that's the first one you see, you're going to be expecting all the other ones to be just as weird. It'd be like starting with Howling 2 or something. It's it's not exactly the definition of, of a proper werewolf film. Don't listen to Josh. Definitely start with Howling or American Werewolf in London. Yeah, Silver Bullet is cool. I unfortunately had it ruined for me before I saw it, so I knew who the werewolf was. It was uh, it was entertaining. I do think probably the the disparities of language and violence was simply due to the fact of what you could get away with, you know, for PG and R at the time. We're always kind of down on language, but it's like violence was able to get through. So I think that they were kind of going along the lines of, well, we can have people get brutally killed, but uh, don't have any naughty words and we'll get a PG. And <laughs> I think that's really where they were aiming. And that's probably why it just ended up being uh, what it was with the uh, the weird it dialogue. It feels so weird, though. Eh, go live out where, uh, in you know, in the middle of nowhere where uh and and i'm sure there's people saying uh you know cockadooty and whatnot so <laughs> we haven't got we haven't gotten to cockadooty yet that, that's well, i know we haven't gotten to cockadooty yet but we're we're there in a few years about five years now we have two stephen king movies in 1986 and they could not have been more different from one another you had stephen king who had gotten frustrated he had he had gotten frustrated with all of what he called these novice directors screwing up his stories. So he said, oh, yeah, I'm Stanley gonna, Kubrick, I'm gonna real, take it over. Real novice director, Stanley Kubrick is, have another drink, the <laughs> alcoholic. <laughs> he wasn't an alcoholic then, he was a cokehead. <laughs> Worse. So he decided he's gonna make Maximum Overdrive. He'll direct it as he narrates in the, in the weird trailer where you could see he's coked out of his mind. Oh yeah. That he's gonna show them how to do Stephen King right. Maximum Overdrive is a train wreck, no pun intended. It's a car wreck then. Nothing in this movie works. It's trying to be so serious. It, the, the acting is terrible. The line deliveries are terrible. The movie makes no sense. Stephen King doesn't even remember shooting the movie. By his own admission, he was, quote, coked out of his mind through the entire shooting of Maximum Overdrive. Can I ask you a simple question? What doesn't make sense? Okay, so if all the machines are coming back to life, that would mean there would have to be some sort of brain or circulatory system to allow them to come back to life. There would you're have to be something to this. animate. No, you're and, no, and then and then some things animate and some don't because like Lisa Simpson's car never turns on, on them, but all the other cars are chasing. Stuff. You know, you're putting you're putting way too much thought into like like as I've said in the in the past, I give every movie gets one. You know, it's like, okay, here's a movie where there's, <clears throat> here's a movie where werewolves are real. Here's a movie where a girl can light things on fire with her mind. Here's a movie where a comet or a UFO, one or the other, we're not sure which is the cause of it, sends this vibe over the earth that turns machines against their creators. That, that's it. 
There's no, it doesn't need to have some sort of circulatory system. You don't need some kind of greater explanation to it. Saying it doesn't make sense would be something along the lines of, we've had machines all this time, and now all of a sudden machines come to life for no reason because they're really alive. Like, that and would be like... find oh. out why they come to life. It's because of some comet thing that brings them to life but, all but of a sudden. It doesn't even make sense. So some things are powered by electricity, some are gas, some are internal combustion, some are electrical. Josh, it, Josh, there needs to be a consistency. Listen to me. There is cocaine. a consistency. Cocaine's yeah. a hell of a drug. But, yeah. I mean, but, okay, Maximum Overdrive does have Marla Maples being killed by a truck full of watermelons, so that's something. <laughs> it, it also has a child being run over with a steamroller. It's <laughs> That's true. And it has, has Stevie get, this machine just called me an asshole! <laughs> like, <laughs> Maximum Overdrive uh, is a movie that, for years, Years, Like, I have unabashedly loved Maximum Overdrive. And then, like, maybe two years ago or so, I discovered, I'm like, wait a minute, people hate this movie? How can you hate this movie? It is ridiculous. It is great. It's got an amazing uh, soundtrack from ACDC. It's got some... Uh, we made you! We made you! It's got <laughs> some great special effects. It's got some outstanding um practicals. It's got the goblin truck, which is just iconic. It's freaking awesome. It's just really, really entertaining. I I don't know like what look, what do you want? Like like how can this not how can this not be enjoyable? I just I'm baffled by the fact what that do you want like, in the depths of your ignorance because I don't think I can give it to you I don't, I don't know <laughs> it's such it's such a good movie I like look am I is it an Oscar winning no is it a really great entertaining movie where trucks are running over people and they're getting their arms cut off by like electric grills and uh, steamrollers are running over children coke machines are shooting coke cans people yes it's fun <sighs> cocaine's a hell of a drug that's true. Which I think is Cecil wise. has, uh, Cecil has summed it up. It's, it's just a ridiculous kind of B movie. I do find it ironic that this was Stephen King saying, I'm going to do Stephen King right. And then he ultimately makes probably the most ridiculous bombastic adaptation of, of any of his, if it's even an adaptation of his works, was that based on any of his books? Yeah, Truck, it was based trucks. on, it was based on, on the trucks. short story trucks from okay. 1973. But it's definitely like, if you compare that to, to like something like the dead zone or, or even the shining or even Carrie, it's, it's like where these were some great, like subdued horror movies. And then he was like, I'm going to scare you with maximum overdrive. It's like, well, you you made me laugh, Stephen. It, it's a great little funny, ridiculous, over-the-top movie, but it's certainly not uh, scary in any any shape or form. And especially that ending where everything is all summed up in a little text crawl, where it's like, and a day later, all the, the cars went back to same because went back to normal because it was uh, that, that text like crawl means we ran something. out of money. Yeah, of course. But it's it's a great little ridiculous film. I think I've learned to appreciate it a little more over the years. It's just, it's just a fun one to throw on and uh, have a couple laughs and enjoy the ridiculousness of it. And hey, you know what? Emilio Estevez, man. Emilio Estevez. Well, then in 1986, we also had Stand By Me, which is arguably, up to this point, probably the best Stephen King movie in, in, in a, in a purely critical sense. Stand By Me, I think, is a great movie. I've read the, the original novella, The Body, but I, I do not remember how much it, I haven't read the, 
the novel since the early 80s, the novella, so I don't remember how much it changes, but Stand By Me, Rob Reiner knocked that one out of the park. Stand By Me uh, might be my favorite Sting, Stephen King movie. It, it's just the acting, the story, everything about it. It's, it is just this really good coming of age film, different coming of age. You know, it's not a bunch of friends all dicking around in their lives. Like, no, they go out and they're, tr- they want to go see a dead body. They go and they see a dead body. And, but there's so much more that happens along the way. Just the performances, everything about it is terrific. As you said, uh, Rob Reiner knocked it out of the park. Uh, the, the voiceover throughout the whole thing, uh, just really, really a terrific movie. I, uh, I love Stand By Me. Fantastic film. I mean, there's really not a lot I can say. It's it's definitely more on the dramatic side. It's not so much a straight up horror movie. It's definitely coming of age. It's it's from that era where where somehow kids weren't annoying in movies yet. Um, <laughs> I guess it's part of that whole whole thing and trope in the '80s where you had a group of kids and they would go on a little adventure and it would get kind of weird or kind of scary. You know, a lot like the Goonies or or uh, the Gate. Or, or, or just films along those uh, along those lines, and it fits right in with those. And I think it's it's a phenomenal film. It's incredibly well acted, and it's it gets tense at times. And just overall, uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character is just a total creep. The kids, they're the, the kids like the way they get along with each other. Their whole um their whole rapport with each other is amazing. It's it's one of those even Wesley Crusher works. Yeah, you know what? That was mm-hmm. before Will Wheaton was a little sh. So it's a that's a <laughs> testament to. How good that movie was. But that's one that I really recommend to anyone that hasn't seen it. It's essential Stephen King adaptation territory and just essential 80s, I would say. It's a phenomenal film. Well, and then we go to 1987 where we have two more, although both of these are only technically two more. We have Creepshow 2, really is only a Stephen King movie for the Raft segment, which is arguably the strongest segment in the movie. Creepshow 2, as we discussed in the Creepshow retrospective, isn't terrible, but you can tell the production problems were all over this one. I gotta say, this hair, it's gonna get me paid and laid. <laughs> I love Creepshow 2. I think I saw, I saw Creepshow 2 before I saw Creepshow 1, weirdly enough. It was at like, uh, one of my friends' like birthday parties back when I was in like primary elementary school. And I remember being really freaked out by the raft. I found that one really freaky. Um, I love the, the hitchhiker one. And then revisiting it later, that one's got a great, like, sleazy quality to it. I don't know what it is. Just something feels uh, a little more exploitative, exploitative first one does. It feels more like an 80s kind of slasher movie, it's, it, particularly the raft black gunk that's like sucking them through and stuff that's that's really i love that one that's to me that's the highlight of the whole thing i like creep show too a lot it's not i don't think it's as technically good as the first one but it stands on its own as a really good solid 80s um slasher-esque kind of horror movie like it like i would love to see like a friday the 13th sequel kind of directed in the style that the raft was like i I was sort of watching that and thinking i'd really love to see jason pop up at some point there's a really great vibe uh, going on here it's more like exploitative than a lot of those other movies are it almost felt um felt a bit like part five but i really like uh, creep show 2 a lot i think it it's not as creep show one and two are on a whole different playing field from each other. It's hard for me to really judge them in terms of uh, being better than one another because I feel like they have different merits. Creep show the first one has a great EC comic vibe. It really feels like Tales from the Crypt. It really it's it's solid in that. And creep show two is perfect in how sleazy it is. And I can watch them both back to back and enjoy them both um, equally because they're 
they're both really great in really different ways. Creepshow That's 2 it. is, uh, is silly. It's, uh, whereas the original was fun and had some scariness to it, the sequel is definitely not as, um, produced as well, but it's still very entertaining. Yes, the raft is the best sequence, but there's still a lot more to enjoy along than, you know, besides just the raft. I think it's fun. Just, uh, don't go in with uh, expectations as high as the original. And I think that's where we're going to end it tonight. We're going to stop right there. We'll pick up with Richard Bachman's The Running Man next week. So we're actually going to split this, even though I had intended this to only be a two-part episode, we're going to make it a three-parter. We'll continue with Stephen King's film work next week, and then in two weeks, his TV works. There's a lot to go over. I don't want to just rush through the 90s stuff because there's some great 90s stuff in here. So on that note, Cecil, where can people contact you? You would contact me at goodbadflicks.com as well as goodbadflicks on Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. Peter, where can people contact you? You can find me on Twitter at Cinematica, on Facebook, The Cinemasochist, on YouTube, The Cinemasochist, and on 1201beyond.com. I've got a new episode out currently on YouTube, so go check that out and uh, buy yourself some Cinemasochist merchandise on 1201beyond.com, as well as some radio drum stuff, too. Hey, why the hell not? And I can be found at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, go watch a cool Stephen King flick, preferably one of the Dino ones from the 80s, and keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.